Welcome to this week's second edition of the Tom Green Podcast, Detroit Sports Week edition. Again, thank you to the RPW wing of Saginaw Valley State for University for letting me speak. That was a lot of fun. I hope to come back at some point. I'm certain I will come back at some point. The new episode of All Things RPW in that um, in that department will be coming out next week, and uh, I will be sure to share that once I receive it and talk about a lot of tips and tricks there. But without further ado, there was some pretty big news that came around in Detroit this week after I did my SVSU show, of course. And that was the Detroit Tigers have their new play-by-play announcer. And this guy has been hired by the Detroit Tigers, not necessarily by Bally Sports. His name, and I'm sure you're very familiar with it, is Jason Benetti. My friends listening to this show, let me tell you, it was a bit of a risk, maybe not so much of a risk now that we're talking about it, but it was a slight risk that Detroit got rid of Matt Shepard because he had a lot of passion for the game. I know that a lot of people complained about how dry he was, that he didn't bring enthusiasm to the game, but he had a lot of passion for the game. Okay. And it was a dream job of his to do this job, to be the PA announcer for the Detroit Tigers. So, I mean, it hit a little bit softly with me that he was gone, but I knew that whoever was going to come in was going to have to be better than Shep, and man, did they make a home run higher. They made, they they swung on a 3-0 pitch that was right down the middle, and they deposited onto Adam Street just like Miguel Cabrera did a few years ago. Jason Minetti is a nationally known name. Jason Minetti has cerebral palsy, uh, and that has not stopped him from achieving his dream. So don't let that stop you from achieving your dream. If you're listening to this show, this establishes instant credibility when the Tigers press box. I mean, Shep had credibility within the southeastern Michigan area as well as other areas inside the state. But this establishes national credibility. I mean, when you're watching MLB Network, and if you're outside of the Detroit market, you're watching MLB Network. You listened to a White Sox ball game over the last few years. You heard Jason Menini's voice and you listened. You listened to him and you listened to Steve Stone from the White Sox. And I've said it actually to Benetti himself that Steve Stone was one of the most underrated broadcasters in all of Major League Baseball because of how direct he is and how concise he is. And Jason Benetti is has good quirks. He likes he he can he can have his puns every now and again, like I do, on this show. He integrates fan communication into the game, somewhat. And he is, he likes to talk to fans. And he likes to, he, he is definitely one that you will get to know personally through your television screen. So Jason Minetti is a home run hire for the Detroit Tigers. I gotta tell you, I am excited, I am very excited for this season to hear his call. And when he's doing a national broadcast for another network, for another team, guess who's going to step in? Dan Dickerson, the famed radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, who I've gotten to meet a couple of times. Good guy. Definitely knows his work. And this this Detroit Tigers broadcast 
booth has has taken a complete 180. Because like I said, a lot of people, a lot of people were complaining about this booth, that it was uninteresting, that it was dry, and I dealt with it. But now we get to listen to Jason Manenny, and it still doesn't feel real. As a Tigers fan, as a Detroit fan that's been suffering a few years, this still does not feel real. That um, Jason Manenny is now our main play-by-play voice. And it's going to take a little bit for me to realize that. To my White Sox friends and to those in Section 108, I mean, I apologize that this is happening because um, I really have enjoyed a lot of those times uh, sitting in Section 108, cheering on the White Sox, listening to Jason Manenny. There will still be good times there, and I'm looking forward to going back there. At some point next season, visiting those in Section 108 and maybe have some of the 108 on the podcast. We'll see. But a home run, absolute home run hire for the Detroit Tigers and Jason Manetti. I'm definitely looking forward to the season already. So from complete happiness with uh, Jason Manetti being hired as the Detroit Tigers play-by-play guy to complete criticism when talking about the Detroit Pistons. We didn't have a lot, of course, in the Pistons bag over the last couple of days, but we had a pretty big moment, and a pretty big moment in all the wrong ways happened Wednesday evening, and it's something I wanted to rant about on this show, and that is the Pistons losing the Bucks by two points. Now, if you did not watch this game at all, and I was very tempted not to, you thought, okay, two-point loss. To a very good Bucks team that potentially could go NBA Finals worth. We'll see about that. That's not a horrible loss. Until you look at the numbers and watch the fourth quarter of that game. I mean, like it said, I went into Wednesday night thinking, okay, Pistons loss. Pretty much chocolate in the bank. Double-digit loss. Giannis and Lillard. That's just going to be too much for Detroit. I get it. I get it. But looking back at this game... Pistons were down double digits at half. I didn't watch it entirely, but I watched the point that I needed to make on this show. Halftime, they were down double digits, and uh, they were still looking for some. Uh, they were still looking for all three legs of the Bally Sports Parlay. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they were a few. They were quite a few points and rebounds away from hitting. So I'm like, okay, figures. Moving on. Turn the game back on in the fourth quarter. Pistons are up double digits. Giannis was ejected in the third quarter. And what happened after I turned it on and I saw that the Pistons had a double-digit lead? Isaiah Stewart decides to jack up three threes that only one of them hit the rim. Damian Lillard scores like six points on the free-throw line with the clock stopped. The Pistons had at least a minute off that clock that they could have shredded prior to blowing that lead. And the Pistons end up losing by two. Let me tell you, folks, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable as a National Basketball Association team. That you have a double-digit lead with less than five minutes to go, and you can't finish the job. Now, I get it. Double-digit lead in the NBA is like a nine-point lead in professional football where two-possession lead, okay, you get a field goal, you get an onside kick, you get a touchdown, you win, okay. But still, this is a young team, 
And I hope this team learned its lesson Wednesday night. Because if you have a double-digit lead with five minutes to go, and you're a National Basketball Association team, you have to close that out that job. Bar none. Just about no excuses. The only excuse I would have had is if Cade Cunningham would have been hurt with another out-for-the-season injury. That would have been some sort of excuse. But nope, he was healthy. And as far as the last the last 30 seconds of that game went, the Pistons were down one. Cade goes up for a layup, and Brooke Lopez blocks it. Uh, they get a foul late. Um, they, uh, Milwaukee makes one free throw, to which they have to shoot a three, which Cade had to from about three-quarter court. I don't necessarily blame the last couple of plays there, because when you're down one, you need two to win. So Cade went for two. He was blocked by Brooke Lopez. Okay. Still, they didn't over-exaggerate. They went for what they needed to. <clears throat> I know Monty Williams is a good coach, and I'm not necessarily criticizing Monty here. But I'm just saying that when you have a 10-point lead and you're an NBA team, you have less than five minutes to go on the clock, you have to close out that deal. Period. I hope the Pistons learned their lesson that night. Uh, quick hitter on Michigan basketball. Only played one game at this point. About to play Youngstown State uh, on Friday night. Uh, 99-74 victory over Asheville. Phil Martelli coached. Uh, let's see. Uh, Namakua scored 25 points. I probably mispronounced his name. I apologize if so. Uh, Doug McDaniel with 22, Williams a second with 15, Burnett with 13, uh, Reed Jr. with 9. So good contribution all, all ways around. It's only the first game. Michigan's doing what they're supposed to do. Good on them. Uh, Red Wings hockey for a quick hitter. Uh, Habs won on Thursday night in overtime 3-2. to two. Fisher scores in the second period. JT Comfer scores in the third period. Uh, Caulfield, who really helped the Habs get to the Stanley Cup final in the COVID season, scored on the power play in overtime, late in overtime, to seal that deal. The Habs get the extra point. The Wings face the Jackets on Saturday before two games in Sweden. I saw that uh, our friend Danielle Bruce is already packed up for Sweden. Hopefully she, uh, Art Regner, and the Red Wings staff, as well as the broadcast crew, have a great time out there in Sweden, because that looks like a lot of fun. I'm sure uh, Holmstrom and Lidstrom might actually might try to hop on the plane, too. That should be a lot of fun. Wings should beat the Habs and then hopefully split those two games out in Sweden. Would be a good, a nice four points to add to the standings right now, to which they're seven points behind Boston, but in second place in the division. you got to make top three in the division to make the playoffs, and so far, they're doing so. So good on them. Now to Michigan football. I've seen it, of course, um, talk, touching a little bit on the sign scandal. By the time this show was supposed to be recorded, we were supposed to hear something from the Big Ten. And that's very nice of the Big Ten to announce something on, oh, let's say Friday afternoon on the way to... As, as the team is on the plane on the way to Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, 
oh, it's just going to be something in Jim Harbaugh's inbox or text messages that he's going to read once he gets off the plane. And if you're like me, I keep my phone shut off on the plane. So he turns it on when he lands in State College, Pennsylvania, and finds out if he's suspended or not. Great job, Big Ten. Just absolutely fine job handling this scenario. 100% do I advocate for this scenario to be the way that stuff like this should be handled. Not. I mean, are you kidding me? You're going to wait until Friday afternoon to assess any sort of penalty the day before, and you're going to try to cloud this game with all this judgment and whatnot that so many that so many people in the stands have already have already brought the Michigan Wolverines to justice. Well, guess what? The Michigan Wolverines football team does not care. And they will play like they do not care tomorrow. Simply because this investigation has been just off the walls crazy. I again, I can't really give a wholehearted analysis on everything because we don't know everything. Now, I'm not supposed to know everything to give analysis, sure. But I mean, what can I say except go blue? Okay, so going to the game here, looking at the quarterbacks and passing yards, McCarthy with 2,134, Aller with 1,895. McCarthy has three picks, Aller has one. Uh, rushing yards, Blake Corum with 649 and 16 against Allen with 573 and 4. Uh, Lambert Smith has more receiving yards, but Roman Wilson has more touchdowns. The matchup predictor says Penn State 50.5% to Michigan's 49.5%. First thing I have to say is thank God this game is at noon and not at night. Because there are, and I've said this to my own father before, there are few, there are very few atmospheres in college football that intimidate me as a Michigan fan. Penn State at night intimidates me. I'll say it. So thankfully, this game was put as big noon as the last couple games with Michigan have been night games. I was at last week's Michigan-Purdue game, and yes, I saw Purdue's troll job trying to, uh, with a camera and Ohio State gear. So what? We didn't let it bother us. As far as the game goes, it's going to be a defensive game. It's going to be a lower-scoring game. In fact, I tried to get a buddy of mine, uh, Jared Smith, a uh, Fox Sports Radio live on the line, VEASAN line, picket sports betting analyst, tried to get him on the show, and uh, he did not have time to join us this week. But he did give me some analysis, and I will read that through Twitter. Uh, He says, I think it's a low-scoring game that Michigan probably wins. Penn State loses because they have no offense. And he said he's happy to hop on another time, though, to talk some ball, and I hope he does that. I believe next week is going to be our 200th episode, so Jared, if you're listening, you're more than welcome to join me for episode number 200, and we'll talk some betting, we'll talk some some football and all that good stuff, and hopefully you've enjoyed this show so far as it's basically been me ranting for 20 minutes. Do people like that? I hope so. If not, well, then why are they listening? That's what I have to say about that. So uh, I think it also is a bit of low scoring because it's going to be a defensive battle. We saw it from Penn State, Ohio State, where Penn State has themselves a defense. But they don't really have themselves much of an offense. 
So maybe the first one to find the end zone wins. The over-under on this game, believe it or not, is 44.5. Maybe they predict Michigan scores in the 30s. Maybe they predict something like 21-17 to 17 or something like that close. I know that would be an, technically be an under, but you see where I'm going with that. Um, I would say Aller finds Lambert Smith in the end zone once, and Allen runs for a touchdown in Penn State side. Uh, McCarthy finds uh, Colston Loveland and Roman Wilson, and Blake Corum rushes for two touchdowns. Michigan wins this game 28-14. to And to the people, especially those like my friend Kelly in Vegas that says, who has Michigan played? My answer to that is that on the schedule. And that can be controlled only a few years in advance. Michigan's played everyone on their schedule. They haven't covered against everybody on their schedule. But they've played everybody on their schedule, played them very effectively, and have beaten everybody pretty effectively. This will be a closer game than what Michigan fans have seen the past few weeks. I will give her that. But let me tell you, you only play who's on your schedule. And if you beat who's on your schedule like Michigan has, you're a pretty damn good team. So there's that. Moving to the Lions. Kind of put a wrap a bow on this show. Feels like it's been a couple of weeks since the Lions last played. And if you said that, you would be absolutely right. After a bye week, the Lions make their second visit to SoFi Stadium in its history. This time, they face the Chargers. And I have to ask the uh, matchup prediction analytics at ESPN. Why the hell are the Chargers a 59.1% favorite to 40.6? I don't see it. In fact, Detroit is a three-point favorite. The over-under is at 485 Sure, the Chargers have won the last two games, 30-13 against Chicago and 27-6 against the Jets. Okay, Aaron Rodgers might be coming back in a few weeks, but Aaron Rodgers wasn't on the field when the Chargers faced him. And the Bears, my God, the Bears look horrible. Again, and I've said it before to some people, I don't know why Matt Eberflus was hired in the first place. Sure, they won last night. It was a win-win for Chicago. I mean, they won the game against the Panthers, who the Bears got the first-round draft pick from, which will probably be number one. But is Tyson Badgett really the answer? Is Justin Fields really the answer? I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. Let's go back to the Lions. Injury report as of right now, Gardner-Johnson remain, or, uh, is designated to return, in fact, tomorrow, unclear of whether or not he is going to start. Dan Skipper, Levi Omazurki, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Vitae are all questionable. Lions receiving uh, DPJ in the, at the trade deadline. Chargers, Joey Bosa, questionable. Josh Palmer, IR, set to return, already have set to return. Raheem Wayne on IR as well. Instant analysis from this game is that, sure, the Chargers will score a couple of times. They have a dynamic receiver in Keenan Allen. If Josh Palmer returns, they have a dynamic receiver in him, too. They have Gerald Everett, the tight end. So they have some weapons. I respect that. 
where has Eckler been? I mean, yes, he scored last week, but where in the world has Austin Eckler been the last few weeks? Eckler was supposed to be one of the top fantasy rushers. I haven't seen him a lot the past few weeks. In fact, I lost a, I lost a juiced up bet on that. Uh, Tony Pollard and uh, Austin Eckler to combine for 100 rushing yards. They had, what, 56 in their game against each other? So Eckler has been pretty quiet. But if you're a Lions fan, I would not necessarily think that Eckler is going to stay quiet. So you got to contain Eckler. Keenan Allen will be Keenan Allen. Limit him to 5 for 50 and you're fine. And get turnovers. You can do that on the other side of the ball. You're going to have a two-possession win against the Chargers. Easy. Lions 20 or 28, Chargers 17. I do think the Chargers do find the end zone twice. But the Lions just have too much to, to uh, for them. And the Lions beat the Chargers. But besides that, that puts a wrap on this week's Tom Green Podcast, episode number 199. Next week is episode 200. We hope to have Jared or somebody special on the show. Thank you to everybody that has listened so far in this new rendition of the show. I really hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you've enjoyed my ranting. Because this can be fun sometimes. Sometimes I come into the show thinking, man, I got to rant about four teams again. But then you just get going, and it just kind of flows naturally. Sort of like this show did, I hope. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Oh, yeah.